Hi, my name is Kanal, and welcome to the Geeks of the Valley podcast, which connects with some of the brightest minds globally who are leading their respective industries today to discuss the hottest upcoming industry trends and how their work is affecting the global economy. What started off as a coffee chat has now grown into a global platform for visionaries. This morning from Hong Kong, we have the ex-co-founder of Liquify and the current founder and managing partner of Newman Capital joining us today. Please welcome Adrian Lai. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for the invitation. And how are things with you over in Hong Kong? Well, it's been great. Um, going to Singapore on 26th, and uh, after Singapore, I'll be in Thailand, just looking at the ecosystem in Southeast Asia. Let's jump into the first question, shall we? Yeah, sure. So, Adrian, tell me about yourself and your background and how it led you to the path of starting Newman Capital. Sure. So, I, I was born and raised in Hong Kong. And uh, right after my graduation in, in 14, I joined BlackRock in the asset management space. So, I, uh, I was in several roles in private and retail bank marketing. I was in ESG investment. But in 2016, I decided to leave uh, the, the trade five space and enter the crypto space. So uh, before I, I start the company Liquify, I actually was more in a prop trade uh, in, in crypto. And I kind of learned a bit about Bitcoin and every altcoins in the 17 ICO space. So I did some ICOs, did some secondary market trading. Um, the, the kind of the breakdown of ICO made me rethink a lot about institutional institutional crypto or blockchain, whether it will be the go-to go to market uh, thing instead of just pure ICO at that time. So I started a company, the company Liquify, which is really in enterprise blockchain solution space. So we offer, uh, we offer blockchain solutions to whether it's real estate companies or banks, uh, for, uh, for them to mainly tokenize their asset. And uh, in 2019, uh, I re I caught up with the whole crypto space, and I think it w- it went much more mature than. The ICO time where you could raise a lot of monies with just a blank, blank idea or a white paper. And I look at DeFi because I was in the financial space quite a bit. And I look at DeFi and I decided uh should start investing more into the web free space. Web free just basically everything related to decentralized finance, gaming, whatever. So I started Newman Capital as an investment arm to invest in the web free space. Uh and uh but obviously, before that, I actually focus a lot on private equity stuff, but probably much less irrelevant for for today's conversations. And at Newman Capital, what have been some of the most uh, exciting investments to date? Well, I, I think it is with quite a bit. So we invest in, um, as I mentioned, not just web free. We invest in private equities in, in projects like not projects, but companies like SpaceX, Reddit. Uh, Epic Games, which I really like a lot because uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Fortnite. And um, we also invested in companies like Depper Labs, uh, Uga Labs, the parent company of Board Ape. The uh, exciting things that I'm looking at recently, and we did investment too, uh, is very early stage as well. One is called Subbera, is a payment infrastructure uh, a protocol which allows any Web free users to pay for subscription models. So basically, you in Web two world, you can you can pay 
to services like Spotify through a subscription model on a monthly basis. Now through Safera, uh, it's chain agnostic and you can pay with a subscription model every month or every day, or you can you can even do a one-time payment as well. So I feel like I feel like if consumer facing is the main thing or web is gonna having a lot of consumer-based activities, a subscription model would be a thing. Another one that I really like recently is a company called Nfine, uh, which is a Vietnam-based Robinhood equivalent. Um, we talk about YC just now, and we actually screened this company out of the Y Combinator, y Combinator uh, cohort as well. So they, the reason I like them is because I'm personally really interested in the Vietnam market uh, with the growth engine, obviously with the, with the kind of uh, user behavior, very similar to what we're looking for in the web free world. But this company now just do purely stock trading and uh, I will be very eager to look at them entering the crypto market in the future. So going off this point, it is my understanding that you are looking at a lot of companies which are involved in DAOs. Why is that and where do you see the future going with it? Well, I think DAO is a tricky topic because, um, well, and, and I, I think it is also a matter of how much decentralization plays a role. Um, I, I saw that when, when that was kind of developed in 17, there's a lot of extreme situation that you could, you could, you know, people can raise a fund in a DAO format and every member has a say in terms of what kind of things to do what kind of things to invest in with a so-called DAO, but there's no protections on the members, uh, which a lot of regulators don't like. And there are DAOs, they are super, they are super centralized. And um, it is just using DAO as a kind of, kind of um, you know, terms to put, terms to attract people to join it, but essentially is, is, is a fund per se. So I think DAOs, there are several types of them could be interesting in the future. Investment DAO wise, I personally am not a fan of it. Um, I think something like a social DAO, which you have to perform certain activities, or you could have own certain stuff like NFTs, so you could have a you could have a right to join that DAO to communicate or socialize with other members. And obviously, social DAO comes with an objective on what kind of things you wanna achieve within a DAO. Uh, whether it is you know it could be talking about collecting watches, uh, you could be talking about us, uh, et cetera. There's also services DAO is, is growing really rapidly as well. You know, some with, with sub DAOs under a DAO, which could carry out or perform any actions that is probably better than essentialized organizations. So um, decentralized auditing is something I'm looking at as well, how you can have group a bit of uh, some talents together and perform auditing for code uh, instead of just relying on centralized organization to do it. But I think overall, overall the DAO space is developing really interestingly because um, it's something, it, it, it basically fulfills the premises that Ethereum or in general blockchain want to achieve from the early days. When it comes to the future of DAOs, it seems that many companies really blended in with this play to earn or move to earn model. Can you talk more to that? Well, uh, I think it is the, the X to earn model was something developed when, when XC, um, XC Infinity was so popular back in, back 
last back to last year, I think. Um, well, I, I I feel like whatever to earn model is I I wouldn't say it fails, because it's it's something that really innovative. I think it takes time to develop and for the market players to optimize the model, but uh something like a Axie or something like a Stepin, they did learn their lessons, I guess, when they developed the business model or the tokenomics, uh, uh, which usually include an indefinite, indefinite token supply for for one of the tokens. And well, I, I think whether it is play to earn, whether it's play to own, whether it is you know whatever free means kind of model, at the end it comes back to the gameplay itself. So whether whether it is whether it is whatever kind of mechanics that you use to incentivize people to to either own the tokens, earn the tokens, or to use the platform, it goes back to whether the game itself or the or the application itself is interesting enough for growth hacking. So I think that matters. And but instead during the bull market, a lot of people just focusing on how to design the tokenomics and forget the real fundamental underlying. And speaking of Axie, when it comes to looking at both Axie and Stepin. Do you find the tokenomics to be, in a sense, a well-played Ponzi scheme? I mean, a lot of people out there, there are believers who believe in the industry, but there are a lot of projects out there that are a Ponzi scheme, but are tackling it from this play-to-earn perspective that when the tokens run out, what happens to the game? Well, it's funny. So so when I, when I, um, the first time that I experienced something really Ponzi was in, was in 17, I was, uh, one of my friends uh, kind of kind of tricked me into a game called FOMO 3D, which is a game on EOX, and it's a pure Ponzi. Uh, you basically you basically uh, refer someone to play the game. You earn a split of the referral fee. So it's ba- is a traditional classic Ponzi. But coming to XE and and Stepin, Stepin is a more advanced of of XE for me in terms of gameplay and everything. For growth hacking, but the tokenomics itself actually doesn't improve a lot uh, from XE to Stepin. I, I I feel like I feel like as I mentioned, the indefinite, even though there's a uh, designed indefinite token supply for whether it's whether it's SPL in XE or or the GST in Stepin, the thing is when the game gameplay is not good or well thought, uh, the users players will just try to earn the tokens and dump it in the market instead of using the tokens for pre-designed mechanisms or functions. So for example, in Axies, as I recall, you can use SPL and com- combining with a certain number of AXS to kind of reproduce another Axies or re- or kind of develop an Axies. But I, I feel like the whether it's a marketing angle or the real user behavior, uh, incentivize them to just sell the SPL for earnings. Um, or sometimes selling the NFT for earnings is fine, but I guess everyone just found a token to sell it. So I don't think it is, they they are probably being criticized as Ponzi now for Axie and Stepin, but going forward, I, I see kind of a lot of players trying to optimize optimize uh, how they design, how they work with the tokenomics. Uh, to be fair, Stepin and Axie were just very early players. And I see that, even Stepin now is trying, the founders or the team is trying to think of a lot of different gameplays or mechanics uh, or ways to utilities for people to use GST instead of just having users dumping right 
write all the tokens in the market. So I see some development happening, but but I I would need time to look for it myself and digest it through the bear market. And speaking of the bear market, what type of solid fundamentals do you believe should be established uh, during a time like this for startup founders building and venture capitalists uh, investing? Well, I think the question is split into two parts, especially for founders versus uh, venture capitalists. And um, talking about VCs first, I have a very strong viewpoint, particularly when when we introduce some of our portfolios to other VCs, I realize in, in Web3, a lot of VCs talk about uh, the market timing. So basically, if you, for example, I was introducing uh, an NFT financialization project to some of the VCs and they would say, the market is not ready for this, uh, something like along the line. But I, but I, feel, I feel like uh, any VC should invest in the future instead of looking at the market timing now. So if you think the market is is the fit for NFT financialization now, the valuations probably has has skyrocketed already. So you're kind of investing in what should be the next thing in the next cycle. So I think VCs should revisit the fundamental of the investment thesis during the bear market, meaning that what do you think that matters really in Web3? You know, a lot of people invest in gamings, especially in titles. And uh, I would criticize that, you know, in terms of gaming and titles, how much does it, how much does the valuations, is the valuations derived from really web free stuff instead of just pure gameplay? You know, you don't see a web two games raising a 500 million valuations, even they have a really strong team and developers and nice gameplays. But in web free games, you often see 100, 200 million valuations of project, but just because they have a token themselves. So I think VC should definitely revisit what they really believe in and the fundamentals during the bear market. For for project founders, I, I feel like um if obviously they have to think about what is the what is the thing that matters to them in, in the bear market or overall what is the belief in Web3 for them. But usually for Web3 founders, they're already very convicted in certain areas they want to achieve. For example, they might be you know, they might not do, want to do something in gaming. I think the fundamental side of, of for a project founder is, is to actually not just learn about the macro and, and, and talk to VCs, but really understanding about the industry without the web-free thesis. Because I see a lot of founders entering web-free space, graduate, are young people that have not got a lot of working experience. And that's that's all good because that is the ages with a lot of entrepreneurship, you know, you have a lot of ideas floating around, but some of the web free is very tricky in the sense that you have DeFi, you have, you know, whether it's prediction market, whether it's show show, a lot of them actually comes with, you need to have the background of those industries in order to be successful and transforming the industry web free. So I was, I would really think that web free founders should get at least the fundamental knowledge in the sub industry they're working in, whether it's financials, if you, if you, are working something in, in terms of DAX or Deriv protocol, it is nonsense that you're not, you have don't have idea of the underlying financial economics. So I will I would strongly suggest them to go back to fundamentals. And when it comes to looking and making an investment, uh, especially from the venture capital side, and you're looking at valuation and revenue metrics, how does one go about valuing tokens? 
I mean, depending on business model, it's either an intangible asset, some sort of inventory, or some companies just directly recognize it as revenue. It depends on whether it's the issuer or the person buying the tokens as well. Well, I think it is, it, it is a very interesting question because um, I actually internally, over the past several months, we had that debate because we were trying to look for uh, opportunities in secondary market. And, and obviously, valuation comes down a lot from a, from a, a relative market cap perspective. But, but we were also looking for indicators or multiples that could uh, uh, point us to the right direction or right projects. So for example, uh, uh, Uniswap, before, you know, obviously they are discussing internally, not internally, but in a public forum on in terms of giving back fees to, to uni holders um, and kind of like a dividend. But before having this proposal, I think most of the, most of the uh, fees actually go to liquidity providers. And we were just debating internally on if we're looking from a trustee perspective, whether it is uh, a fee providing liquidity provider is kind of account for account as cost of cost of goods sold instead of you know how how does it how does it play with the with whether it is um, a cost of goods sold whether it is actually account still as a revenue or something like that and, and Uniswap if we're looking from a trustee perspective actually doesn't come with net, net earnings so it is really expensive you comparing with the tech companies and and that's sort of why when we look at more and more protocols like uni or even DYDX um, and especially we were looking at DeFi protocols we come to a conclusion that it was not it is not the right time to look at any revenue or earning multiples even though I know a lot of this uh, third party providers provide this data but to us it is just a guiding metrics instead we think that the web free whether web free space whether it's a DeFi or gaming or uh, other other whether you are, you are a DAO, uh, I think it's like a 2011 or 12 Facebook kind of thing, uh, kind of timing that you have to look at the growth metrics, like the number of users, users' activities, and um, it, which matters the most before we talk about net income or, or earnings. I don't think the market is ready for that. So now we look when we look at the portfolios or any kind of companies, uh, we want them to go aggressive on user acquisitions. Obviously, obviously it's not really just focusing on tokenomics or ponzinomics to recruit users is really about not just the gameplay, but we go to a DeFi protocols is fundamentally how, how you have a sustainable system to attract users to use the product with a sustainable yield. Uh, you know, definitely not like an anchor protocol of Lunar, um, but the user side of metrics is what we're looking at. And the on-chain activities, uh, of those users, how often do they use the protocol? How often do they trade? What is the size of trading? Do they go long or short more frequently? We tend to look at this more than uh, earning or revenue multiples after we have the kind of a look into multiple DeFi protocols uh, for ourselves. So Adrian, given this, where do you see the next big move for crypto? For, as a new main capital, we had uh, views on 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 the next big thing, I don't think it's necessary, right? But we, we like to space. The first one is uh, the web-free social space. And the second is the NFT financialization space. And I'll kind of elaborate for both of them. Um, web-free social, I think we, we form a thesis that the current current wallets or any kind of a messenger apps, and usually wallet like Metamask or other kind of Metamask equivalent should have the role of, of people trying 
able to socialize with each other, but the the wallet itself currently minimized, just purely purely serve as a, a wallet, pure wallet. But we believe that any anyone with a wallet address and, and owning kind of like a wallet to do payment transfer should be able to do any kind of social activities as well, whether it is whether it is owning an NFT avatar, whether it's uh, to DM others, to socialize with others, whether it is having notification functions in case something happening. For example, if, if another person on your contact list um, for the NFT, it should be popped up with notification. So I think social, however, we do not believe in any decentralized Twitter, decentralized Facebook, decentralized Instagram per se, because we think the market uh, still uh, is, is, is leaning towards using Twitter and Facebook and Instagram because they are still the norm. So we think that any kind of ways to, to add on the social element on top of existing web-free solution uh, being used will, will be great. Will be great for the next wave, especially especially when, when I focus a lot on consumer journey and, and user acquisitions, explosion of, in growth of users. I think social is, is something that we should be looking at. So uh, the second is NFT financialization. And, and that's something... Uh, we like, and I think there's kind of like a debate out there whether it will whether it will flourish or not. And and we saw pseudo swap being so popular recently, kind of like a Uniswap equivalent. But we are interested in a derivative space of NFTs. Um, uh, whether it is able, whether you are able to do long shot of a broad A, whether you are able to hedge against the position of your other side, other side landed as well. Um, I think. When when NFT as an asset goes more, um, with a have a stronger growth, uh, the financial financialization of derivative side of things should develop, and ultimately, how it brings on to that that real world asset market, whether it is physical or art market, is something that I, I'm personally really interested in and in trying to, uh, trying to, break the puzzle or create or or, break the, or solve the issue for several years, but I think it takes a bit of time. Um, but so far, I think financialization of NFT would be something I'm I'm really interested in, and I saw several market makers already entering a space trying to create liquidity. So, Adrian, when taking a step back and looking at the crypto market from a macro perspective, how should one look at pricing Bitcoin and Ethereum compared to potentially being the next gold equivalent? I personally, I'm quite I'm quite against the comparisons of, of Bitcoin and Ether versus digital gold because I, I know it's a norm to say that and back in several years of time we always talk about the inflation hedge uh, for Bitcoin and Ether has always not been a digital gold comparison I think it's very much you investing in Ether in the past several years investing in Ether is kind of like an equity play but now it's getting much more complicated after the merge that you have to consider also, the yield perspective, the kind of emission emission schedule, whatsoever, but it, it definitely not gonna become part of digital gold. But overall, I think Bitcoin itself is. I, I hate to say that, but you know, I think the pricing the pricing is irrelevant to what I say. I think Bitcoin is an old dinosaur in in in, in crypto space. It has to retain, it has to remain. Um, it there's a reason for it not to advance technologically because of its decentralization. But I, I feel like Ether will, will definitely flip Bitcoin, given how much functionalities and how much role it has in 
Ethereum or and Ether have in terms of the Web3 development. But overall, overall, uh, it is definitely not going to hedge against inflation like gold does because of how much correlation Bitcoin and Ether have with the macro market. As we see last several months, even we take out the merging, the merge effect that, or the implications on Ether price, both Bitcoin and Ether are not kind of following uh, um, uh, gold price. It is very much related to S&P 500 pricing. And it's just going to be getting worse because of how much institutions or hedge fund traders are being involved in the market. So I think the narrative of digital gold is is already is already done. Um, and Bitcoin and Ether will have its own uh, curve after the macro market stabilize, I guess. But you know, I, I think the correlation wouldn't just come down suddenly and 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 that's sort of people just have to accept that it's no longer inflation to inflation hedging to. So Adrian, to wrap up a call with last question for the day, uh, what piece of advice would you give to people out there from the journey you've had so far in life? Well, I think there's um, to be to, in whatever industries and, and whether it is in web free or not, you have to be passionate yet uh, managing risk. And when I say that is obviously being passionate in, in what you do is very important. And if you're in web free space, your kind of passion has to be much bigger than, than joining other industries because the web free space is growing so rapidly and it's so interconnected among industries. But it is very easily understood for being passionate. But managing risk is another thing. And when I say managing risk, is it doesn't equate to um, being risk averse or not taking risk. So personally speaking, I I I am even though how much I love about the degen degenerate space in, in Web3 or overall crypto or even overall now the, the financial market, people kind of go all in every day. And, and I see you could get so rich in one day and you can get so poor or broke in one day. Being managing risk is just you, is, is, is something that you could do after you understand fully the whole picture of something that you're working on or you're reading. And for me, I... I tend to be kind of managing risk all the time. I think that is much more difficult than going all in in something because you you need to leave um, kind of, you need to basically leave your bullets to continue with what you're passionate with or kind of if the market goes down or if something that you're working on just goes completely wrong, at least you have the bullets to do other things that you're passionate about in your life. And I think managing risk more importantly, is allow you to have a peace of mind. Because I see traders around me losing or earning a lot of money, having a cycle which is lots of up and downs in several months, but it turns out their life might not be happy. And at the end of the day, having a peace of mind is very important for long-term, long-term development of yourself because you just have to be happy. Uh, well said. And, and for people out there who are interested in catching a cup of coffee with you in person or doing a Zoom call, uh, what would be the best point of contact? Well, uh, you can always reach, reach out to me on, on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, just search Adrian Lai. You can, you, can, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter. And you can also reach out to me through email, which is adrian at newmancapital.com. Um, 
I'm always happy to do coffee, Zoom call, whatever. I travel all the time as well since since the border opens in Hong Kong. Um, so look for looking forward to talk to you guys. Adrian, it was a pleasure having you on Geeks of the Valley, and thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate. Thanks a lot. This podcast is brought to you by Python, an Asian-based open-source enterprise software company. Python offers a suite of software applications and infrastructure services to scholars and universities. Thank you.